At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Well, with that being said, I'm so fired up to continue on in our study. Uh, We have started a brand new study as we journey through uh, this wonderful book, 1 John, and we've titled this series, The Forgotten Virtue, because let's be honest, we all have moments where we forget. We all have moments where we get the spiritual amnesia and we forget who we are and the type of people that God has called us to be. And one of the virtues that's so essential to effectiveness in the Christian life that the Bible says will always be at risk is our love, our ability to love God, our love of uh, our neighbors and our love even of our enemies. The Bible says in the last days that the love of many will wax cold. And so uh, that encourages me and our team to make sure that uh, we come back again and again and again uh, to what the scriptures have to say and teach us about love. Because only as we love do any of our spiritual activity have uh, any value at all. So we're to talk about love today. Now, all of us were taught about love from the time that we were a child. In particular, if you were raised in a Christian home, but even beyond that, uh, we are taught that God loves us and that God loves everybody. How many were taught that as a kid? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. You know the song. Don't make me sing it. Uh, You guys know it, right? We sung that song in nursery school and in Sunday school, and it taught us about the love of Jesus for all people uh, across the the world, and yes, even for us. Uh, And some were were maybe taking uh, that message, maybe you took that message a step further to say, uh, not only does God love everyone, but that means that he cannot hate, that he does not hate anyone or he does not hate anything. But what is really interesting is this, is that anyone who knows love, who have actually experienced love, knows this, that you cannot truly love without hate. Love has a side of it that has to have hate. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, If you are a spouse and you are married and you really love your spouse, then that means that you're going to have to hate unfaithfulness. You can't love your spouse without hating unfaithfulness. If you are a parent and you really love your children, that means that you're going to have to hate things like neglect and abuse. How many know what I'm talking about, right? Love requires hate, at least hating those things that undermine love. And you'd be amazed at how much the Bible talks to us about the things that God hates, that undermines human flourishing. Let me just give you one example of that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 6. We're not going to camp out here, but I just want to reference this. Proverbs chapter 6 gives us this list of things that uh, Scripture calls an abomination. And that's a pretty strong word, but it's a, a word that describes the things that God hates because they undermine his plan for our flourishing and for us to experience the abundant life that he promises us in Jesus. Verses 16 through 19 read as this, there are six things that the Lord hates, 
seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. You know, this is a list that we would do well to kind of come back to again and again and again and check our own hearts to pray, Lord, may these things not be found in me. But what does this tell us? It tells us that, that God, in many ways, he hates the things of this world. Now, I want to make sure that I'm clear in what I'm, I'm not saying, because Scripture is really clear that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So when I refer to the world, I'm not talking about the people of the world, nor am I talking about the planet, the creation that God has made. God loves both of those infinitely, enough to send his son to bring redemption. But yet, what he hates is, are the attitudes and the actions of a fallen world that undermine human flourishing and undermine his purpose, his plan, and his will for our lives. He hates those things. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the, the love that God hates. And we're going to look at 1 John chapter 2. I want to encourage you to turn there with me, 1 John chapter 2. And uh, we're going to look at God's Word here as we look at verses 12 through 17. And, uh, and what we're going to find here is that God rejects uh, the love that the world embraces. Now, the key verse in this particular passage is verse number 15. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Don't love the world. And again, he's not talking about don't love the people. He's not talking about don't love the planet. He's, he's not discouraging those things. But what he's saying is don't love the fallen attitudes and the fallen actions, those things that are uh, fleeting, transitory, and oftentimes in defiance to the very purposes and plans of God. Don't fall in love with those things. Another way of putting it is that God knows that we're going to be tempted to fall in love with the fool's gold that the world offers us, and he doesn't want us to be fooled. The world makes empty promises that it can't fulfill on. God is the only one that makes promises that our hearts can rest secure in. So he doesn't want us to fall for the fool's gold of the world. Now, why would we? Why would we abandon all that this world offers? Think about all of the things that this world offers, all of the, the, the possessions of this world, all of the power of this world, all of the things of this world. Why would we abandon those things in exchange for Christ? Well, the first reason that he gives us in verses 12 through 14, it's because of who we are. You'll never walk away from anything in exchange for Christ if you have an identity crisis going on. This is why I love what our church does week after week after week, and that is remind us of who we are. And this is exactly what, what John is doing here. He is reminding God's people of who they are. Look at verses 12 through 14. He uses these words. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. 
I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. John is saying, I'm writing to you to remind you of who you are. The world will give you all of these false messages about who you are, that you're inadequate, that you're unlovable, that you need this next great thing, this next gadget, this, this next uh, item in order for you to be somehow complete or lovable or acceptable. But in God's sight, through Jesus, we are already loved. And so we just need to remember who we are, and we often forget who we are. I'll, I'll give you a, an analogy. How, how many are like this? How many uh, need your cup of coffee if you're going to be uh, remotely humane in the morning? Let me know what I'm talking about. Like, we don't even want to see you before you get your cup of coffee in the morning. Like, your whole family knows, create a pathway uh, from you to the coffee pot before anybody even says hello. Does anybody out there know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you are like that. Well, well, so it is with us. When we wake up in the morning and we don't ground our morning in God's Word, in prayer, how many can uh, anticipate that that's not going to be a good day? Right? If you don't start your day out reminding yourself of who you are and who he is, it's going to be hard for you to deal with the people uh, of the world. It's going to be hard for you to deal with people on your job and, and people in your community. Let's be honest, it, it's even hard to deal with people in your family when you don't start your day out in prayer in the Word of God. You know, I got five awesome kids at home, but I will tell you this, uh, as wonderful as my children are, cuteness has an expiration date. I, I don't know what the expiration date is, but there is an expiration date on it. How many parents can say amen to what I'm saying to you right now? And they're wonderful, but the fact is, is that if I want to love them well, and these are the people that I love more than anybody else in the world, I need to be reminded of who I am, and John does that. And he uses these terms that we should not quickly breeze by. The first term he uses is children. And this isn't a demeaning term. As a matter of fact, it's a term of endearment. It is John's way of saying we are family and you're a child of God. And he refers to all of the body kind of broadly this way, that you're a child of the Lord. But then there's a second group that he refers to as fathers. Now fathers are those who have walked with the Lord. They have experience, they have time into their relationship with God. And then there's a third category, and that is young men. And these aren't meant to be gender specific, so ladies, you can find yourself in this as well. But these are those who, uh, because of their faith in Christ, have uh, had the victory of overcoming uh, the evil one. So let's talk about what does he say about each one of these. The first one he says to the, to the little children, he says, your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Why should you not love the world? It's because the, the world can't offer you what God can offer you. You shouldn't love the world or the things of the world because it can't give you what your soul ultimately longs for. What your soul ultimately longs for is forgiveness and grace, love, and mercy, and these things are found in God and in him alone. 
You know, we just came from Christmas season and a lot of gifts were given and probably a lot of them have already been forgotten. Why? It's not because we didn't appreciate the things that we received, but because those things are temporal. This world only offers temporal things. The car will one day rust and break down. The house that you dreamed of will one day need repairs and begin to fall apart and you'll be looking for another one. This world has that as its reality. It all seems to fall apart. It is not what our souls most desperately need. You know what we need? We need to know that we're loved. And if you blow it at half as much as I blow it, you need to know that you've been forgiven. These words mean a whole lot when you're humble enough to admit that, man, I don't get it right all the time. How many can be honest enough to admit that you blow it every day, right? Every single day. There's not a day that goes by when I don't do something that I regret, that's uh, dumb, that I kick myself and say, Chris, how could you do that? And then I hear these words, and man, do I need to be reminded that I am forgiven. And it's not just true for me, it is true for you as well. We don't have the corner on God's grace. And we like to pick and choose who gets to apply verses like this and who don't. But God is the one who chooses, and he says this broadly, little children, all who will come to me can experience this love and forgiveness. But I want you to notice something. He hinges uh, our forgiveness, his ability to redeem us, to save us, to satisfy our deepest soul's desire to his name's sake. In other words, I, he stakes his reputation on the fact that he and he alone can give you the things that your heart longs for in the deepest way. We need to be reminded of this. We need to tell our kids about this. We're in a consumeristic world where they are constantly bombarded by messages of things that are designed to arouse their appetite to just get one more product or one more possession or one more device. And we have to let them know nothing wrong with that as long as it's in balance. But what your heart most longs for, you will find in Jesus. And he has staked his reputation on it. Some of you, this is a younger crowd, but some of you may remember uh, the name E.F. Hutton. How many remember that name, E.F. Hutton? And you remember those commercials when E.F. Hutton speaks, what do people do? People listen, that's right. E.F. Hutton, it was a name that represented quality. It was a name that represented the, the quality of the product that was being offered. And in that business, it was the financial advice. If you buy a Harley Davidson, that, that placard means something. The name of the company is the, the credibility of it. They have staked the quality of their product with their name. Every motorcycle doesn't have that name. You know, I get a chance to do a radio program on Moody Radio Network, Moody Bible Institute, and the tagline for Moody Radio is, Moody Radio, a name you can trust. In many ways, this is what God is saying. God is saying, I have staked my name on my ability to heal your heart, to give you your deepest desires. And so when you hear that name, know that if your heart responds to that name, that everything that your heart truly longs for is found in him. Little children, you don't have to look any further than Jesus. It's in him that you find forgiveness for his name's sake. And then he says, fathers, fathers, you don't have to love the world, why? Because you know him. To be a father means that you have experience. To be a father means that you're not uh, frazzled or shaken or worried when the world is falling apart. 
You know, there's times when storms come through our community, and uh, one of the things that I know is that when the uh, lightning and thunder and the winds are coming, the rain is coming, my kids are looking at me, and in many ways, I become the barometer to them of how bad things really are. And as long as dad is calm, cool, and collected, they're gonna be okay. Have you ever had somebody in your life that's that way? You ever had somebody that has just walked with God and they know him so much that they are a calming force in your life? Anybody have that person in your life? I hope you do. I hope you have people who have walked with God so closely that they know that he is faithful, that he is good even when the nations rage, even in the COVID seasons of our lives that he can be trusted. You know, I've had the privilege of being by the bedside of many people who are making their transition from this life to the life to come. And not everybody handles that moment well, but there have been certain people whose strength of faith have absolutely blessed me, one of which were in my family. I remember being by my, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother's bedside, as she was clearly facing the final stages of life. And I remember talking with her one conversation about how she was doing, and her response was, baby, I'm ready. I'm ready. I, I love Jesus. I'm ready to meet my Savior. I have passed my faith down to my family, which she had, and she had done a great job. And uh, there was no panic in her. She had walked with the Lord long enough to know that he was faithful, not just in this life, but in the life to come. How many want to be that type of person in somebody else's life? Her faith in that moment reassured my faith. Fathers, I write to you because you know him. You've walked with him long enough to know that he'll meet your every need, that he's not just a God of the mountaintop, but even, David said, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear any evil because you're with me. And then he says, young man, you don't have to love the world, and young women, you can find yourself in this as well. Why? Because you are victorious. You have already overcome the evil one. But notice that that strength that he talks about is not a strength that is yours innately. By the time we get to the end of verse number 14, we know where that strength comes from. It says, you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. It's because of the deposit of the word of God in your heart that you are strong enough to overcome the temptations of this world. Temptations are gonna constantly come your way. You don't outgrow temptation. You don't outgrow the fact that you're gonna be tempted all the time. Now, the temptation, temptations may change as you grow and mature. The things that you are tempted by when you're a teenager are probably gonna be different than the things you're tempted by when you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s, and I don't know much beyond that. But the fact of the matter is, is that you don't outgrow temptation, but you can't overcome it. And how do you overcome it? It's because he lives in you and his word is deposited in you. And it reminds me of Psalm 119, that word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. How many know that his word brings victory? And here's the thing. I wish I could tell you that somehow we are insulated from the emotions and the temptations and the fears and the anxieties of this world. This week, I said to my wife that uh, all of us, 
All of us have to process the affairs of a fallen world. None of us are insulated from this moment. We all have to contend with a wave of emotions and those tempting responses and reactions that we know are not consistent with the Word of God. But what's the difference? The difference for those of us who know Christ is that we know where to go when those temptations come. When I am tempted to respond in a way that is not consistent with the character of Christ, when I am tempted to give in to despair or anxiety or fear, praise God, I know what to do, I open his word and I go back to his promises and I am reminded that he is faithful, that he loves me, that he is with me. And once that word gets deposited in my heart, I get strong enough to have victory over that temptation. How many praise God for his eternal word? Embrace who you are in Jesus. Then he tells us to reject what the world has to offer. Reject what the world has to offer. Look at what he goes on to say, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things of, in the world, rather. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This type of love that John is referring to is a type of love that demands rejection as well. Again, when I pledge my heart to my wife on August 23rd, 1997, I'll never forget that day. I was standing there preaching in front of me and I thought to myself, oh my God, I gotta take care of her. Up until that point, her parents had to fit the bill. Then it was my turn, right? But when I said yes to her, I was rejecting a whole litany of other options. Here's the deal. When we say yes to Jesus, we are rejecting the world. Why? Because the love of the world will push out love for God. He says, listen, the love of the world, if you have love for the world, then the love of God is not in you. In other words, you can't have two landlords, only one. There's not space for both. So either you choose love of the world or you choose love of God. And what is the love of the world? Well, he kind of gives this broad umbrella statement. It's the things of the world. And he goes on to, to clarify. It's the things of the world that come through the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. These three things, ambition and all of these uh, appetites that the world encourages within us. Your eyes are never satisfied. The hunger of your appetites are never satisfied. Guard against that. And marketeers have been paid great money to constantly keep you hungry and to remind you you're not satisfied and to make you think that if you get this next great product, this next great possession, that somehow you will be satisfied and all of it is lies. The world can't deliver on what it promises. Why? Because the world is fading away. The world is fading away. Even if you get that next thing, I promise you, you will still be hungry for more. You have to drink from the well that never runs dry. Jesus is that well. If you want something that causes you to be satisfied, whether or not you have the house on the hill or the fancy car or all of the things that you want in your closet, I'm telling you where the answer is. The answer is in Christ and in him alone. The things of this world are fading away.
Did you, did you make this connection? I, I don't want you to miss this connection. Verse number 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Are you perishing or are you living? Notice, the desires of this world, they are perishing. And if those desires are in you, if your life is primarily marked by your desires for this world. Now, I'm not asking you to take a vow of poverty. I'm not asking you not to enjoy life. I'm just asking you not to let your possessions possess you. I'm just simply asking you to make sure that you make your emotions, your appetites, servants and not masters. Appetites are great servants, they are very poor masters. Because the world, this world, its appetites, its desires, it's going to crash and burn, and if that is the anchor of your heart, then you will perish with it. But if you wanna abide forever, do the will of God. Do the will of God. There it is, my friends. Pursue God. We often tell people to leave evil, but the fact of the matter is, directionally, if you're walking towards the right thing, you'll be walking away from the wrong thing. The key is not to become so enamored and obsessed with the wrong thing and trying to eradicate your life of the wrong thing. The key is to become obsessed with the right thing. And as you walk towards the right thing, you'll be walking away from the wrong thing. Pursue the will of God. And here's the good news. You will have life and you will have it more abundantly. How many want the abundant life that Jesus came for you to have? How many wanna have that type of life, amen? I want to encourage you. For many of you, this is just a reminder message. This is one of those locker rooms. We're halftime of the big game and, and I get a chance to take the team into the locker room and just remind you of who you are in Jesus because all of us get rattled and shaken. As that great prophet Mike Tyson once said, everybody, has a game plan until they get hit in the mouth. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is every one of us has times when we are rattled and shaken and wondering, what do I do now? And we forget and we begin to revert back to old behaviors and lifestyles. And, and I get a chance to remind you, you are his little children. You are in Christ. But for some of you, maybe this is the first time you're hearing this message, so let me just invite you into this love that God has for us. It doesn't make a difference of your background or even your sin. Don't, don't, don't fool yourself into thinking you gotta clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. If you could do that, he would have never had to die on that cross. There is no sin on earth that's greater than what he did on Calvary. So today I wanna invite you to give your heart to Jesus. And if you're watching us online, I'm so grateful for you. This would be a great time for you to just type the word connect right now into the chat box and one of our team members will follow up with you and many people are doing that now and I would love for you to do that. And if you're in the auditorium today, after we have one more moment of worship, I wanna invite you to come to the front if you need to either recommit your life to Christ or start a life with Christ, our leaders will be here with you. Everybody stand with me all over the church. How many love Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us, for the fact that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, that you are unchanging, forever faithful. Our trust is in you. 
King of kings and Lord of lords, we give you our hearts today because we know we can trust you with them. And all of God's people said a big amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.